We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. There's a national trend that seems to be taking hold in St. Louis. It's the ABV, or alcohol by volume trend. Very simply, it's mixed drinks with low or no alcohol. That's the subject of this month's Soundbite segment. I sat down recently with Heather Hughes, managing editor of Sauce Magazine, and staff writer Matt Sorrell. Joining us was David Gretema, bar manager at Parlor in the Grove. I began by asking Heather about this trend. <laughs> Well, I think um, there are several things going on, and one is just any kind of alcohol trend. It's like big, heavy IPAs were popular in the beer industry for a long time, really hoppy, really high ABV beers. Now, uh, sessional beers are more popular, lighter, lower ABV. Um, There's a big lager trend that we've talked about before. Um, And same thing in the wine industry, Uh, wines that are a little more acidic, lighter, are generally trending right now, natural wines, compared to big fruit bombs that were earlier, uh, that were uh, popular a few years ago. Um, so it's just a, at some level a matter of taste, but then I also think that there is a greater trend, especially in the food industry, um, connected to things like Me Too, um, healthy work environments. Uh, people are just more aware or trying to be more aware of how alcohol influences their working environments um, when we're talking about the food industry in particular. We better just make sure that everybody understands what ABV (laughs) stands for. Alcohol by volume. It's just uh, like the numbers on your beer can. Um, So most wines are in the teens. Um, Beers are a little bit lower. I'd say a 5.6 average. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Matt, let me turn to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something that's going on in, in most establishments or just a few? Uh, How would you classify it? I would say probably at this point a few, uh, and it depends on the type of place you're going to. If you're going to, let's say, like a dive bar, which is usually marketed as being a place to go and, and maybe overindulge a little bit, uh, that's probably not happening. But if you were at, a like, say, a, a cocktail bar uh, or a restaurant, uh, there are more and more low ABV or no ABV options uh, available for sure. People are really thinking about uh, their health. They're thinking about getting home safely. Uh, they're thinking about maybe being pregnant, that sort of thing, and shouldn't be imbibing. Absolutely. I think all those things. Uh, absolutely. I think people, like Heather was saying, uh, people are a lot more cognizant now of their health and healthy lifestyles and understanding that um, – uh, you know they don't. Ha- they can go out and have a good time and not have to overindulge. It's kind of like your mom always said: you, you can go out and have fun without, you know, having a beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mom didn't say that. No, my mom. <laughs> I, I wish my mom had. <laughs> no, yeah. it didn't. David, let me turn to you. What sort of an impact is having on what you do? Honestly, it it gives you the ability to think outside the box in a way that strays very far from what you're used to. So. When you start accumulating all this knowledge about cocktails, spirits, wine, beer, you kind of forget everything outside of that tunnel vision. And you have guests that come in that, like you said earlier, are pregnant, maybe can't drink because of health reasons, et cetera, et cetera. And 
by offering them something like this, you know, a, an option that most people would have getting a normal cocktail or getting a beer or maybe not wanting an N.A. beer, it kind of extends that level of hospitality that I think is incredibly important when people go out to enjoy themselves. So I come to you and I say, you know, I'm really not interested in having, you know, a martini. It's just it's just too stiff for me. What what can you offer me that, uh, you know, that would be not quite as potent? One of the, you know, one of the main ingredients is vermouth. And nowadays there are so many different options. Um, people do know vermouth. I grew up knowing vermouth as the thing that sat under my grandfather's sink. <laughs> Wasn't refrigerated. Totally the wrong way to do it. But there are so many different things from Italy, so many different things from France, and now in the United States um, where there are these aperitif-style liqueurs, things like actually like vermouth, um, really great stuff being done in California, and that it extends those options flavor-wise while being able to sacrifice the, the proof of the cocktail. So, Heather, what I'm getting out of this is the fact that what you might do to lower the potency, if you will, of the of the drink. If you make a martini, you would use more vermouth than gin. Yeah. Well, and I was going to jump in and say that's a, something that I've noticed talking to bartenders recently is the half and half martini. Um, we know martinis is just a full glass full of booze, but um, with so many, like David was saying, so many delicious vermouths on the market, there's no reason not to experiment with that. And then you can get, you know, that's half half the booziness of the cocktail right there um, by just bumping up the amount of vermouth in the drink. Um, that's something in our drinking guide we had a feature about low-alcohol uh, cocktails. And one of the most interesting parts to me when um, talking about doing this was all of the tricks that different bartenders have for sort of fooling the palate or fooling the nose um, so that you can make a cocktail that, the experience is like a super boozy Manhattan or something like that, but it's um, flipped so that there's a ton more vermouth in the drink, and instead of being based on uh, bourbon or rye, you can just do a spray of um, bourbon over the top. So you still smell uh, the same thing that you would with a normal Manhattan, um, but the alcohol is significantly lowered by basing it on more vermouth or sherry or something like that. That was from Tim Wiggins at Yellow Belly and Retreat. Um, mm-hmm. We talked to him for this, and he gave us a few of those tricks. Um, another one was he uses ginger juice to replicate the heat of a cocktail. You know, that uh, signature thing when you sip a really boozy drink, you can feel the burn a little bit. And ginger can mimic, mimic that um, while maintaining a really low alcohol content. Matt, I was, I was going to ask, what does alcohol do for anything? Well, uh, the thing about alcohol, it's a, usually, uh, especially when you're talking about spirits, uh, it, it's a bigger flavor, and that alcohol can help carry other flavors. So, like for a Manhattan, for example, like it's usually a couple ounces of a rye or a bourbon, um, and then that it usually has some bur- uh, excuse me, some bitters added to it, and then and then vermouth, and the man uh, the the Spirits actually carry a lot of those flavors and make them, you know, more pronounced. Um, and you can do a lot of things with with alcohol. It's a little harder when you don't have that because then sometimes those things get lost. David, is it still going to taste like a martini if it's a two thirds vermouth and one third gin? I think there's a possibility. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, 
it's also interesting to look at it almost in a trend of cocktails from very early on. We saw things like, okay, like Heather was saying, it was literally just a, a glass full of booze. But now, because there is more of a conscious effort to drink less or drink more responsibly, it's also opening up that dedication and responsibility on the side of the bartender to make sure that you can find that flavor. It's sometimes not as easy as other options, but it does force you to think a little bit bigger. I was just going to say, I think it really challenges uh, creativity, doesn't it, for of the course. bartender? Of course. Yeah. I want to get my, my arms around how people order, though. I'm, I'm not quite sure how someone walking into your establishment and coming up to you says, I want, uh, I want something, but I don't want to use the word virgin <laughs> in ordering it. Right. It's, I mean, I feel – so usually when you're, you're at a place that has a dedicated cocktail program, you have some kind of variation of this theme, which is the bartender's choice. So while it sounds like you as the bartender are the one that is going to dictate what they're drinking, it's actually completely the opposite. You break down – a very simple list on both ends of the spectrum, so likes and dislikes. And then you kind of just build a few questions off of that based on those likes and dislikes. So sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes people don't want citrus. Sometimes people can't actually have citrus because of gastrointestinal like, stuff. So it's it gives you an umbrella which to work under, but it does leave a little bit for the imagination because I feel like that's part of what's exciting about not only getting a cocktail but something that's tailored for somebody who cannot have alcohol or if they can, they want a very small amount of it. But how do you know, unless they say something, how do you know that they want something with lower alcoholic content? They'll usually say something. I feel like there is that timidity that holds people back and the same goes for people that want a cocktail tailored for them that is foolproof. But with that being said, it goes back to the uh, the whole idea of hospitality. You want to create an environment which allows for the guests to feel comfortable to ask those kind of questions, to, to, to ask, do you guys have an opportunity to make something that has either no alcohol or a very small amount of alcohol? Once you're at that point, or you can see there are visual cues. You know, there say there's two people. One person orders a drink, the other person seems hesitant, or maybe they're indecisive, etc. Then you then you notice, okay, some food has come, and they don't have a drink. So that might be the way that you bridge that that gap. There is an increasing number of menus that have whole uh, low ABV or no alcohol sections, so it removes that uh, question. Although I will say the bartender's job's not easy, and it, reading people is a big part of it. I was just about to ask you about the ABV on, on, the, uh, on the menus. Mm -hmm. are, are, are many establishments going this way these days? I would say, I mean, most bars will have one or two. I, I think that the craft cocktail bars that I know about in St. Louis are doing a good job of, of adding these. Planner's House mm -hmm. has 
a pretty substantial list mm-hmm. of uh, mocktails is, I think, what they have on their menu. And, and drinks is basically the planter's house whole thing. That's yeah. A, yeah. Yes, well. that's the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Retreat has a sessionable cocktails portion of their menu. I think increasingly um, this is – you can see more and more of it, which – Again, I think it's so valuable to remove that social element of not drinking. Mm -hmm. If you're trying not to drink for whatever reason, if you think you may have a problem or if you are pregnant, um, it's a huge issue of concern to go out with people. And Mm -hmm. removing that as a hurdle, I think, it opens the door for people to to drink less if they want to or to not drink with awkwardness. What is the price like compared to alcoholic drinks or more more significant alcohol? Um, depending <clears throat> on where you are, it's it's about the same. Um, I think I they can be a little bit lower than traditional uh, cocktails just because the price is lower. Um, but especially of the sessional drinks, the price isn't necessarily that much lower to the um, to the bar because uh, like David was saying, there are really a lot of beautiful vermouths on the market right now, and they can be pretty pricey. Um, so if you're getting a sessionable cocktail, it might be the same price as a full-force mm-hmm. cocktail. Um, but I think, again, at places that do craft drinks, um, you're you're paying for their expertise in making something delicious. Uh, you're not just paying for the booze. And so in that case, I think it's totally worth it. Um, we do have this cost-benefit uh, analysis that goes on when you're ordering where it's like, oh, I want the thing with the most alcohol because that's my money's worth. But um, that's just Matt and I were talking about that mentality that people have at open bars too, where it's like, oh, I got to get, I got to get my, I got to get my money's worth. But nobody really wins if, if that's the goal with drinking. Um, I think the move is more towards uh, making something really delicious and, and good at whatever alcohol level. Right. It's about the overall experience and if somebody's drinking eight Manhattans, nobody's having a good experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and particularly the next day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Anything you want to add to this where our time is running down? Matt, uh, final thought? Uh, I would just uh, just tell people, as I always do, like, uh, please don't be afraid when you go into an establishment to, you know, engage with the bar, in this case, the bartender, and say, uh, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, and um, please, you know, and see, because most any place you go that's uh, worth its salt is going to do what they can to make you happy. And David, the bartender is not going to make fun of you if you uh, order. A oh drink no, this time. that's that's a horrible thing. No one should ever do that because ultimately, the bartender is also going to be the guest at some point down the line, whether it's in the city or another city while they're on vacation, so on and so forth. So that should never, ever, ever be in or on the radar of of a bartender. I mean, it just it allows you to it allows you to pro- progress in your talent. So why wouldn't you take that opportunity? Yeah. Final thought, Heather? Um, I I would say I just I I love that this move is happening. Um, especially from the food and industry perspective. Um, it's no secret, it's no surprise that the food and uh, drink industry has one of the highest rates of uh, uh, substance abuse problems of any industry. And the fact that there are more and more people from within the industry recognizing that and trying to do their part for bartenders and servers and everyone who works in food um, in bars and restaurants, I think is really great. And um, there are big names who are doing this kind of 
stuff. Um, one of the ones that we mentioned in the feature, or our writer Kristen Schultz mentioned, was Tales of the Cocktail this year um, started with a dry party, no alcohol served, and that was sponsored by William Grant and Sons Distillers. So I, I think that this move um, is good for everybody. And we all know that the cocktail was invented right here in St. Louis, don't we? <laughs> That is one of the stories, but like a lot of history that has to do with alcohol, uh, people were drinking when they wrote it. So, but um, <laughs> that, uh, that's that 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 is the, the case for the first cocktail party for sure. First cocktail party. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's what I meant right. to say. Wasn't, wasn't <laughs> what I should have said. Thank you all. Thanks to Heather Hughes and Matt Sorrell of Sauce Magazine, and to David Gretema, bar manager at Parlor in the Grove. I'm Don Marsh. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, ninety point seven KWMU.